morning, guys. Great to be with you. Uh, hey, we're going to have some fun as we begin. Go ahead and grab the plastic straw. There should be one in the seat back in front of you or around you. Uh, as we begin, just a few minutes, uh, we have a special Christmas smoothie that we're going to be passing out. Oh, I'm just kidding. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Uh, and also, I just want to put you at ease. No sea turtles were harmed in the acquisition of these straws, okay? So it's okay. Uh, now, just to make sure they work real quick, everyone just pick them up and just look through them. Close one eye, look through the other, make sure that you can see through. Okay, everything's good. You guys look amazing. Uh, we're going to do a little test here this morning. If you want to put on this graphic on the screen. All right, let's try this again. Look through, make sure you can see the screen. You see everything looks okay. All right, on the count of three, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to count to three, and then after that, you're going to tell me what you see. So what image, stocking, Christmas tree, bell, whatever it is, you're going to shout it all together, what image you see. So straws up, look at the screen, one, two, three. Awesome, that was fun. All right, now look at another image, just do it one more time, something else, ready? One, two, three. Awesome, you guys sound like my uh, one and a half year old. That's what he sounds like when he talks. Now, why do we do this, right? All of us looking through this straw have a very limited perspective, right? We can't see the entire image. We can only see this, the one or two things that we might be able to see through our straw. And I, and I share that because this is how uh, you and I walk through life, right? I think all of us, we want to pursue happiness, for example. We want good things to happen to us but because of our background, where we live, things that have happened to us. We have a very limited perspective on things. We don't see things as they are. And so sometimes it can make us, lead us into making poor decisions because we don't have have the whole picture. In the same way, it can also run, uh, lead us into trouble when we start talking about God and who he is. You see, all of us, uh, like these straws, see God from a very limited perspective. Every single one of us only sees just a tiny glimpse of who he is. And of course, it is colored by our experiences, things that happen to us, things that we may want. And so we can be easily frustrated with God, right? When he doesn't answer prayers or doesn't do things that we might want him to do, even when those things are really good things. And we might be wondering, God, why aren't you doing this? And the reality of the situation is we only see a small percentage or a small part of who he is. We have no idea everything that's going on. We have no idea how powerful, how mighty he is. And so we can get frustrated when we, if we do not realize that we only see a tiny glimpse of who he is and everything that he is doing. And I ask that question because we're going to be looking at this. We share that. We're going to be looking at this question this morning. How mighty is God? How mighty is God? You can put your straws away for the time being. How mighty is God? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And my hope is, after these next few minutes, that you and I, maybe into at least some small degree, might, to, it might be able to expand our perception or our perspective on God just a little bit to help us see that he might be much more mighty and glorious and amazing than we often realize. And so we're going to start from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. There's Bibles around us if you want to follow along. However, we're going to be in a lot of passages today. So if you just want to read on the screen, you can do that as well. Uh, in December, we are in our Christmas series called He Shall Be Called. We are looking at uh, the names of the Messiah or some of the names that the Messiah is going to be given. This is written by this prophet named Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus would show up on the screen and show us some of the ways that this Messiah would respond and lead and guide us. And it says this in Isaiah 9 verse 6. It says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, 
Prince of Peace. And so last week, we looked at this idea of, of our Messiah being a wonderful counselor, that he is near, that he loves us, that he cares, that he can be trusted to follow and to guide us. Today, we are looking at this idea of him being a mighty God. Now, all throughout scripture, we have plenty of examples of the authors talking about how God is great and vast and powerful and more than we can actually imagine. I'll read one real quick in Isaiah chapter 40, just a little bit later on in the book, talking about God. Isaiah writes this, He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance in the hills on the scales? Now, the answer to that would be nobody, right? None of us. Like we have no idea how powerful and how mighty he is. We did not do all this creation stuff. He did. And speaking of creation, I want to read just the very beginning of Genesis chapter one, this is the pretty much page one of your Bible. It's the creation of count telling us a little bit that God is the creator and somewhat of how this actually happened. It says this, Genesis chapter one, verses one through five. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning of our material universe, it was all created by him. Verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God, call, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. And so somehow, some way, God creates the universe. And what's interesting is the way that he has created it, right, just by speaking, just by the sound of his voice, everything that we know started and came into existence. Now, just the sound of his voice, if he were to maybe create things by the speed of light, for whatever reason, he saw it good to make light travel at 186,000 miles per second. This is again how powerful and how mighty he is. He says this, and these things are just flying, or I don't know how it all started, but things are coming into place, right? Just to give you a perspective on how fast the speed of light is, you could travel around the earth, right, the equator, seven and a half times in one second if you could travel the speed of light. Again, this is how God is creating everything. If you look a little bit farther down in chapter one, verse 14, uh, again, it goes on to say this. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and for years. And so he's creating everything. And then he again creates the galaxies and the planets and the solar systems and the universe, right? To separate night from day. So let's just talk about earth and where we live for a second and how amazing, how powerful uh, God's creation is. If you want to start, we're just going to talk about the moon, right? So the moon, for example, is 2,100, or sorry, 2,100 yeah, uh, miles in di- diameter. That is roughly the size of the United States. It is 240,800 miles away from earth. It is the exact precise location. If it was just a fraction of a hair farther away or closer, we would not be here. In fact, if it was just a tiny bit closer, uh, not only would gravity crush us, but because of the the, uh, gravity and the tides of the water, every major city in the world would be covered. And yet we see that this moon is the precise size it needs to be, the precise distance it needs to be, and somehow, some way, circles around the earth every year in perfect trajectory. That's just the moon. Or we could talk about the sun and how powerful and how amazing the sun is. Uh, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but you could actually fit 1.3 million earths into the sun. 
That is how massive and how big uh, the sun is. In fact, the sun accounts for 99% of all mass in our solar system. Our solar system being the sun and the planets that surround it. As big as our solar system is, 99% of the mass is contained in the sun. Now, the sun burns at 15 million degrees Celsius and produces 386 megawatts of energy. Now, I have no idea what that means. But I do know that it means it's really, really hot, and it's really, really powerful. Okay, it's really hot, and it's really powerful. Again, and that's just the sun. Again, just one star in God's creation. If you want to talk about the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, of which our solar system is a part, uh, there are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy alone, of which our sun is only one. In fact, it would take you 120,000 light years to travel from one end of the galaxy to another. That's at 670 miles per hour. Now, I said this last week. Uh, Christine and I just started watching the Star Wars movies to see what all the hype's about. I've only watched two of them so far, so if I explain this wrong. But I said, so far, I have two gripes with it. We watched episode four and five. And one is that on every planet, everybody can breathe oxygen and like gravity's normal. Like they're just walking around like no big deal. So I'm like, that's the first one. The second one is that it would take them forever to travel from place to place. So for example, it said uh, they, they, when they travel the speed of light, well, if you travel at the speed of light, it would take you hundreds of thousands of years to get everywhere. Ain't nobody you're like, you would just die in the, in the little machine that you're in, right? The little Millennium Falcon, right? Like, that doesn't make sense. Now, that being said, I had a gracious Star Wars fan correct me, so let me fix my problem. They said, they do use the word light speed. However, it stands for hyperspeed. We, we looked at this on uh, uh, Wikipedia. Uh, that's what it's called. <laughs> Which means that the, for them, light speed, whatever it refers to, is 100,000 miles an hour or 100,000 light, light years an hour, something crazy like that. In other words, it was saying that this is what it actually means, so they can actually travel galaxies in a number of days, to which someone to my right was like, well, if they did that, they would disintegrate. Like, that's not possible. And so I'm like, so I'm still frustrated. But then they said, they have, they have, uh, they have uh, what's the, they have shields for that sort of thing, so that's why they're okay. I'm like, whatever, it doesn't make sense to me, right? But it's big. All I to say, the universe is massive. In fact, a few years ago, the Hubble telescope took the largest picture that we currently have of our universe. And in that picture alone, they found 10,000 galaxies. And it is estimated that that is only 10% of space, of which, again, our galaxy is only one of the 10,000, which might only be 10% of what is actually out there. So what we need to remember is that the universe is massive and it is glorious and it is mighty. This is why the psalmist in 147 verse four and five, again, they don't even, they didn't even know how much we know. What we know is still very limited. He says this, verse four, it says, he, talking about God, counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. In other words, to him, he does this simply because he can. It is not exhaustive. It is not hard. By the, by the sound of his voice, he creates and makes things more amazing than we will ever fully realize this side of heaven. It's why to give you just a few more things, if you're still tracking with me, if you want to talk about our solar system, again, this idea that God is in charge of all of it, let's just talk about our solar system. You could think of it as kind of uh, our subdivision in the Milky Way galaxy. Our solar system alone is made up of eight planets, four gas, uh, four rocks, or four made of rocks, and then there's Pluto, which depending on the, the day of the week, it's a planet or not. So I don't know what that is. Uh, there's 173 moons in our uh, uh, solar system. Uh, there are over 560 thousand asteroids. There are over 3,100 comets, and our solar system is 11.65 trillion miles in diameter. 
Now, I know that is more kind of incomprehensible than we can understand, but to maybe put it into terms that maybe we can understand, you could think of it this way, that if you were to scale just our solar system, it would be the size of a quarter. The Milky Way galaxy, of which our solar system is a part, would be the size of our continent. And again, that is only one of 10,000 known galaxies, of which the best estimation is that might only be 10% of space. It is massive. And I say all that to say this in Colossians chapter 1. This is what it's talking about, this Messiah, this Jesus. Here's what their author of Colossians says. Knowing what we just talked about, about how vast and how infinite, how glorious everything in creation is, this is what he says. For everything and everything we just saw was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him, all things are held together. In other words, that this creation, this universe, this earth is not yours, it's his that he's the powerful one, that he is the king, and we are not. In other words, I say all that to say this. Here's what we need to know this morning, that God is greater than you can imagine. God is greater than you can ever fathom, ever imagine. As we talked about, again, our small perspective, that we want to try to expand it just a little bit. In other words, God is not how we often assume he is. He is not some old, maybe white guy up in the clouds, hoping we don't mess up because he's angry all the time. No, he is powerful. He is mighty. He is righteous. That he, There's nothing we can do to impress him. There's nothing we can do to scare him. He is above all things. I like to think of it a few years ago, a, a previous job I had, uh, uh, there was a guy, obviously I'm a Christian, there was a guy that was an atheist, and so we had some faith, there's some spiritual conversations from time to time, and, and at one point, he comes in one day, and he's got this smile on his face, and he showed me this picture, I can't remember if it was on his phone or what, uh, but basically, uh, it was this picture of, like, maybe it was the Hubble telescope image I talked about or something, it was basically showing how massive our universe is. And then the next picture was this little, was a human being committed, committing some sin, and he was smiling, on, and then he said this, he says, really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Now, what he was saying was how massive our universe is that you really think that if God actually exists, that he cares about us. You really think he cares when we do bad things? Like he's got plenty of stuff going on. And it's fascinating what a, what a change of perspective will do to you because he saw this and he's like, see, God doesn't care about us. I saw that and I say, isn't this amazing that God, the King, the creator of everything is not too busy. He doesn't have too much going on, yet he loves us. He cares for us, that he cares about our lives. He created the universe as it is, not because he is, is, it, was, uh, it was tiring to him or because it was too much work. He's like, he knows the names of every planet. He knows everything. And then he creates humans, the pinnacle of creation, not because he needs anything from us, not because he wants anything from us, but simply because he loves us and he's inviting us into a relationship with him. That God is greater than you and I could ever fathom or ever imagine. And here's why it's important for us to know that. Because a small view of God is an ignorant view of God. A small view of God is an ignorant view of God. And hear me, I don't mean this in kind of like a, a judgy or condemning way when I say ignorant. I just mean like literally by the definition of ignorance is that it's uninformed. A small view of God is uninformed of who he is and how mighty and powerful he actually is. In other words, that God cannot be controlled. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be coerced. He cannot be bought. He cannot be bargained with. That he is God. He is king. And there is nothing we can do to stop that or to get in his way. I like to think uh, a couple years ago, in 2015 was the last time my beloved Duke Blue Devils won the national championship. 
And it was also the year that I finally converted Christina to like start being a fan. And so it was awesome. And so we've watched the last couple of years and typically we watch the games at our house. And whenever something cool happens or someone dunks it, Christina's like, oh, that's awesome. Or go, you know, whoever's the, whatever their name is. And it's like exciting, right? Well, a couple of years ago, she got invited by one of our friends to a Duke Carolina game. And so I let her go because it was in Chapel Hill. If it was in Durham, I'd be like, no, you cannot go into a Duke Carolina game before me, okay? So that's just, so, but anyway, our friend was a grad student at Chapel Hill. She got tickets, and so they sat, you know, at the very top level, uh, and they were obviously Carolina fans were everywhere. The people that sat next to them were kind of new, rude and obnoxious because they had been drinking. They, like, stuck drinking. So it was crazy, right? And so what do you think Christina did? Christina's kind of scared for her. She didn't say anything. Whenever Duke scored, she just sat there and went, like that's all she did, right? Why? Because she was no longer in her house. She was in Chapel Hill. And she, she was like, this is not, things could go wrong here. So I'm not going to say anything. Now, why do I share that? Here's why I share that. Because we often think God is in our world when the reality is we are in his. We often think God is in our world that, that, that just like when we watch you know, a game in my house that I can say and I can do whatever I want and things better happen the way I want them where I get frustrated. We view God that way. The reality is that is not how it works. That God is not, that God is not our kind of, kind of our indentured servant. He does not do what we tell him to do, that he is our God, he is our king, and we are in his world. Now, the good news is that my analogy breaks down because Chapel Hill is obviously not where God is, right? In fact, <laughs> Chapel Hill could be described as the opposite of heaven, okay? So there's just, there's that. But again, the point is that we have to think God is in our world when the reality is we are in his it, it, it kind of, you can think of a, maybe the, the story of Job. If you're familiar with Job in the Old Testament, basically it's presented as this, as this guy who's righteous and blameless and does all these really good things. And he's a really holy person. And God has blessed him because of that. He's got a lot of wealth. He's got a, a big family, all these sorts of things. And the Satan in, ends up coming along and basically has this conversation with God and says, he only does all these things or because, because you blessed him. That's the only reason he loves you. And so long story short, uh, Satan is allowed to make a lot of terrible things happen in his life. So life is terrible. He loses like everything. He loses his family, all these sorts of things. His body has sores all over it. He has friends that aren't that helpful and tell him to curse God and all these sorts of things. And then towards later on in the book, uh, Job has these conversations with God about how things are not fair. And it's actually quite funny if you read them. I'm just going to read one. But here's one of the responses to Job when, God, when, when Job is basically telling God, like, how dare you? Why are you doing this? Here's what God says. Chapter 38, verse 1. It says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who fixed its dimensions. Certainly you know who stretched a little measuring line or who stretched a measuring line across it. Who supports its foundations or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together all the sons and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, where were you when we talked about the galaxy and the universe and creation? Where were you when that happened? I'll tell you where. Nowhere. That's where you were. Okay. Verse eight. Who enclosed the sea behind the doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the cloud, the clouds, its garment and total darkness, its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. When I declared, you may come this far, but no further. Your proud waves start here. Have you ever commanded or ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn in its place? The answer to that question is no, which means who are we? 
Who are we? It's kind of like, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, it's a book written by, or a series of books written by C.S. Lewis. Uh, and in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there's this part where basically these kids find this wardrobe and it brings them into this mystical land. Uh, and there's this exchange between the kids and the beaver family who pretty much helps the kids on their journey in this mystical place. And they have a conversation about the king of Narnia. And in the book, here's how the conversation goes. Lucy, one of the children, as they're talking, says, Is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. And this is my favorite part. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And so the question for us, obviously, this book is made to reflect God and who he is and the king being Jesus, you know, son of God, and all that sort of thing. The question is for us, how do we actually know that he's good? Like, what gives us this idea that God, that this king is actually good? Because I'll tell you where we don't find it. If you take Christianity away, there is no other religion in the world that would describe God as good, loving, and gracious. There is no other. So if you take Christianity away, we don't get it, we don't get it from any other world religion. Uh, we don't get it from nature. Like if you look out in nature, what you might think about God is he is powerful. You might think that God is beautiful. But what do we see happen all the time? We see maybe natural disasters every year. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people die. And so by looking at nature, I don't know that you would automatically assume that this God is all good and all loving. Uh, in Genesis, it says that human beings were created in God's image. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that because of sin that this image is marked. It's not what it once was and what it will be in his kingdom. But if we are his pinnacle of creation, that we are supposed to reflect who he is, and yet we are evil and malicious and hateful towards one another, I don't know that you could say that God is good or always good based on how you and I behave. Or you, could you get it from the evil and suffering in this world? Right? There's lots of pain, there's lots of suffering. So the question is, yes, we could look out and see that God is powerful if he exists and created all these things, but how do we know that he is good? What makes him good? And of course, the answer to that question is found in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This is Jesus. He says this, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, Advent, this time of us celebrating the hope of our Messiah coming, is good news because it is God himself made flesh, that love himself has made flesh and dwelt among us, which means in the midst of our pain and maybe our doubt, maybe questions that we have, here's what we can hold on to, that we do know that, that whatever we're going through is not because God doesn't care, because if God didn't care, he would not have come. 
Listen, the gospel is not just that God came, because if God came, I guess that would be cool, maybe depending on what he came to do, but it's what he came to do that makes it good news for us, that he came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, his perfect sinless life, his sacrifice that anyone who believes, follows, and trusts in him can experience the forgiveness and grace of God and one day dwell in his kingdom. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense that God is the only one who can do for us what we could never do for ourselves, because here's the reality. There is nothing you can do to impress God. There is nothing you can do to make God say, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Oh, oh, wow, that part, that's really awesome. Who would have, there's nothing we can do. And so that means we need him to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The gospel, and here's the good news, is not that Jesus came to die for the stars. The gospel is that he came to give his life for you. Not because you did anything to deserve it, not because you did anything to earn it because you can't, but simply because he loves us, simply because he loves us. And so here's what this means for us. Here's what we need to do with all of what we've been talking about. Here's what we need to do, that we need to see Jesus for who he actually is. We need to see Jesus. We need to have our perspectives changed or maybe opened or expanded to see him as king and who loves us, who came, and he is the only one who can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's kind of like when you're a kid, you really have no idea how much your parents do for you, right? You have no idea until you're older and you have kids, or maybe you have friends that have kids, and it's like, I got two young kids right now. Everything in my life is run by them. Like, I got to make sure, like, they're, they're fed and they're changed and I'm teaching them things. Or if we got to go somewhere that somebody's watching them, like, everything. I can't, I can't just sit and hang out and do whatever I want right now, right? And so because I have kids, I'm like, oh, man, my parents did a lot for me, right? My, my, my perception was changed. It was expanded. And that's my hope that as we talk about the mightiness of God, that we might see a little bit more of his greatness and his gloriousness. And here's why, ultimately, we need to see Jesus for who he is. Because if we don't see God for who he is, we don't see God. Like if we don't see God for his mightiness and his power and his love towards us, we might see something, but it's not him or it's a very incomplete picture of him. Again, we need to be reminded of God's mightiness because God is not scared of you. He is not intimidated of you. He is not afraid of you. He is not anything of you, right? God is powerful and mighty compared to him. You and I are nothing. Like you and I are nothing. We are nothing. It's like, again, like they said in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? We should be, have this awe, reverence, and fear of him. And yet we see, because he's a good and mighty king, that he loves us so much that he came. In other words, here's the point for all of this as we talk about the mightiness of this Messiah. Here's the point. Here's the bottom line. That Jesus is our mighty God who has come. He is our mighty God who has come. And the challenge for us is not to get caught up in our tiny perspective of who he is, that we would see him for his gloriousness and his greatness and his love for us, that we might expand our horizons, that we might put away our straws and somehow, someway understand or just be re-reminded of how powerful and how good he is. And the goodness, again, of his character, of who he is, is maybe if I, can, if I could encourage you, this might sound harsh, but let me encourage you this way, that sometimes if we read scripture, right, if we say, okay, let me grant it to you that God exists, let's say that the God of the Bible, that Jesus is who he says that he is, and scripture seems not seems, it does point out that we do not save ourselves, that we have to trust and follow, repent him, and that he's the, we'll print to him, and he's the one that gives us grace. Now, I think the challenge for many of us at some point in the past, or maybe it's a, you're wrestling with it right now, that you might think, yeah, I get that God is loving and gracious, but why would he forgive me? But you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've committed. You don't know the things that might have happened to me. And to that, here's what I would say. Given everything that we just talked about, 
Who are you to tell God what he can and cannot do? Who are you to tell God that somehow your sin is too bad? Who are you to tell God that, you know, this is really bad stuff, like you're going to be scared, like you're not going to, like, who are, who are we? We're nobody. That's who we are. And that's good news for us, right? That's actually good news that we are nobody and God loves us so much that he makes the way no matter who you are, where you've done, where you've lived, what you've done, or what has been done to you, everybody is welcomed and equal before God because of what Christ came to do. Because Jesus is our mighty God who has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the good news of this Advent season is that we are celebrating his arrival. And again, the good news is that not just simply that he came. It is why he came that makes it good news for us. And so as I close today, we're going to take communion together.